Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. We're glad you're joining us today. Welcome back. We have a really wild ride for you in store. Oh, I am so excited about today's case. So today is going to be a wild case, but stay tuned for the next following two weeks because we have some super duper Halloween ones coming. Oh, I like Halloween. (laughs) I love Halloween. Is it the candy or is it like the scary spooks? I think all of it. Oh, all of it. It's both. It's both. It's always both. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Melissa and I like doing creepy things together, like escape rooms and haunted houses, that kind of a thing. So Halloween is fun, unless it involves clowns. Yeah, because she doesn't do clowns at all. Nope. <laughs> do you remember Citizens on Patrol? <laughs> I'm always making Melissa do these wild adventures with me. And for a while, we volunteered for Citizens on Patrol in our town. <laughs> and so basically, you get together and you drive around town, like through the wee hours of the morning and the middle of the night. <laughs> we could not be any less intimidating of people. <laughs> and we were the ones out there keeping things safe. That's right. Until we came across like a clown looking mask inside <laughs> someone's car and we about had a heart attack. <laughs> running down the street it's like that ikea commercial start the car start Start the car car. oh that had us freaked out yeah because when you're looking for trouble everything looks suspicious the poor guy sleeping in his vehicle oh (laughs) there's this guy hunched over in his truck like hunched over the steering wheel outside the senior center (laughs) so i pull up behind and melissa runs out to see if she can see him breathing and so yeah we had to let the police know about that one but turns out he was asleep he had a bad back or something and slept better in his truck he was a really sound sleeper because we banged on the windows and he still did not move yeah, middle of the night, hunched over your steering wheel. What would you guys think? It was a little creepy. It was. <laughs> then everything creeps me out. Yeah, she's easy to creep out. It's fun. <laughs> but we're always on weird adventures with each other like that. It's always good to have a friend that you could just, you know, do anything with. That's right. But I'm not sure it's so great to have a friend that's going to talk you into anything. And today's case is going to be a little bit interesting in that aspect. Ooh, okay, well, why don't you tell us about the case? Well, I will then. <laughs> Because I talked you into it. Because <laughs> Christy talked me into doing this. <laughs> I talked you into all the crazy things. You want to do COP? Sure. Do you want to start a podcast? Sure. <laughs> I'm a good friend. That's right. She's my ride or die. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Today, we're going to talk about the case that did truly fascinate me. We've talked previously about how surreal it is when you get a couple of people on the same page to kill together. But today's case takes it to a whole nother level. We're going to explore the cult leader, Adolfo Constanzo. Ooh, couple killings are my favorite type of murders. So I'm really intrigued to hear about this cult one. He's responsible for 23 documented ritual killings and probably many more. Yikes. I think buckle in, you guys. This one's going to be a wild ride. I'm going to apologize in advance because this one will likely be a two-parter. There are just so many interesting things about this killer that I don't want to skip over them. But we will always post both parts at the same time so that you don't have to wait for any of the fascinating details. Awesome. 
So this case drew so much media attention because of the truly sadistic things that were done to the victims and the fear of black magic and human sacrifices that evolved around it. Oprah and Geraldo and even America's Most Wanted all featured aspects of this case. Oh my gosh. We just talked about America's Most Wanted in last week's case. And wait, so if it's Oprah and Geraldo, is this like in the 80s? It totally is in the 80s. Okay. Yeah. Who didn't love Oprah in the 80s? This case has got it all. Fame, fortune, drugs, teenagers on spring break, spicy Mexican nightlife, and the crazy happenings of Mexican drug cartels. Ooh, so sex, drugs, and rock and roll, baby. That's right. And the best of all, the best bad guy nicknames. Oh, really? (laughs) Just wait till you hear some of them. They're hilarious. Like their gang names? Yes. I kept on thinking, what would our bad guy nicknames be? Oh, we totally need gang names. Yeah. We're the Buried Motives gang. <laughs> <laughs> Let me think for a second. You could be the killer cookie. <laughs> killer cookie. <laughs> or cookie killer. Oh, the flaming cookie killer. <laughs> red hot cookie killer. <laughs> no, the red hot jalapeno popper. Woo, because if you get out of line, baby, I pop you out. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> Uh, or awesome. killer cookie. Hmm, which one, guys? <laughs> Christy's got all the best names. <laughs> well, with Melissa being a nurse, though, she could be the jabber stabber. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> or nurse ratchet? No, 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 not ratchet. Nurse hatchet. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> That'd be wicked. Oh, what an image. <laughs> nurse hatchet. <laughs> oh, you guys all have to let us know what your bad guy name would be. That's right. Comment under the case on Facebook for us. <laughs> oh, but these names are awesome. And you're going to laugh as soon as you hear some of them. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> Especially when you picture these great big burly drug dealers. They're and their awesome. name is like Tinkerbell. <laughs> <laughs> wait, just wait. <laughs> What made this case even more astounding is that in the name of Palo Mayambe, a religion with its origins in the Congo, Adolfo recruited numerous followers and in large secret ceremonies, they would ritualistically torture, sodomize, mutilate, and then murder their victims, all under the guise of a large Mexican drug cartel. Oh my goodness. It is So it's like cult meat drug cartel? Yes. Whoa, that's wild. It is so wild. Adolfo had the charisma and charm to talk not just one or two people into taking part in murder with him, but whole groups of people. So he was super charming, like kind of like Charles Manson? Yes, absolutely. Only what I find so much more disturbing about this guy is that Charles Manson made up his rituals and Adolfo actually has them rooted in a real religion. Oh my. Yeah. The ways that he entrenches his followers is so fascinating. And as we go through his dealings with his followers, you'll be completely shocked about how he teaches them and works them up into murdering actually for him. That's incredible. Because how do you do that? You take someone who's of a sound mind and turn them into this crazy cult killer. Yeah, I don't know. But he does it. And it is fascinating. So like a master manipulator then. Absolutely. All right. You've got me all geared up. Let's get started. Okay, but before we do, I think that we should throw out a disclaimer that this will probably be a pretty graphic case. So Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo was born in Miami on November 1st, 1962. Interestingly, Adolfo is the Spanish form of Adolf. Ooh. You know how people kind of like will grow into their names and suit their names? And Adolf was this huge charismatic leader too, right? That led to so much destruction and 
Yeah. His mother, Dahlia, was a 15-year-old unwed Cuban immigrant. She herself was a habitual criminal and was arrested over 30 times for things like trespassing, shoplifting, and grand theft. Oh my goodness. And she was only 15 when she had him. So she had definitely a rough start, which means he probably has a rough start. Yeah. So with her criminal background, you'd think that she would have been caught, but she was always able to maneuver into just getting probation and never actually served any time for any of her misdeeds. Oh, wow. She frequently changed and she moved a lot. Delia attributed her success in evading her punishment to the practice of Santeria and Peleomeambe. Ooh, so that Congo religion. We're going to do a deep dig here because I feel it's important to have an elementary understanding of these two religions because they play such a central role in Adolfo's life. Okay. By no means is this like a religious course. Right. And we're not trying to bash these religions either. No. Because I people just... of this religion, they're not all going to turn into... Absolutely not. So no offense intended. But I do think that it's important to have an understanding of it just so that you understand how he manipulates it afterwards. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's hear it. These religions or sects have Afro-Caribbean origins from the Spanish slave market, and it was traced back to the Congo. While both of these sects involve ritual use of non-human skeletal remains to elicit favor with spirits, Paleomeambe specifically involves the use of human skeletal remains placed within a ritual cauldron or naganga, along with multiple ritual artifacts like gold coins and sacred tree branches. Paleomeambe is the darker of the two and is largely secretive and is an individual practice. So they don't meet together as a congregation. You practice this all off on by yourself. That's interesting. Yeah. A palero is an individual that has been trained in the ways of paleomambe, and they use their knowledge of the dark arts to influence the happenings around them using spells, enchantments, and curses created through the nganga. Whether that influence is good or bad is up to the particular palero. In this belief system, there really is no concept of good or bad. Paleomambe is an immoral religion drawing no line between black or white magic, leaving each practitioner to choose his own path without prejudice. Okay. Adolfo's mother had a very strong belief in both Santeria and Peleomeambe. When Adolfo was six months of age, she took him to a Haitian Palero to have him blessed while living in San Juan, Puerto Rico. So he was born in Miami, but very quickly they moved to San Juan, Puerto Rico. During this blessing, the Palero declared that Adolfo was the chosen one and destined for great power. This excited Dahlia a lot. And she would begin his teachings in earnest, making sure to find a palero that would train Adolfo in the ways of Paleomambe. Oh, no. You guys can't see it, but my eyes got big (laughs) while she was saying that. That's always scary. So scary, When the parent believes that their child is going to be the chosen one, the new prophet, the whatever. Well, you're going to find how this leads into his personality, that he believes in his own self-importance and he's better than everyone else. Well, I could see that above everyone because if he's being brought up that way. Yeah. Yikes. So Dahlia herself practiced animal sacrifices to appease the spirits into doing her will. One of Adolfo's earliest recorded memories was the gurgling death rattle of a chicken's slit throat. One of his earliest memories? One of his earliest memories that he shared with other people. Oh my goodness. And this was not a disturbing memory for him. This was a sound of comfort for him. He grew up in a home where the smell of death and rotting flesh were just part of his family life. It shows how it's just what we're taught. His mother would practice her dark arts for favors or personal gain or would curse neighbors if she felt slighted by them 
and leave headless chickens and goats on their doorsteps. Oh, oh a chicken's one thing, but a goat? A goat. And if that didn't do it to make her the worst neighbor ever, the smell coming from her house would. Delia oh. had a reputation for keeping her rentals in horrendous conditions. She would routinely keep sacrificial animals in the house, so the chickens and the goats that she left on people's doorsteps, she kept them in her house. Oh, no. And didn't bother to clean up after them at all. Her housekeeping skills were so poor that while being investigated for child neglect, her home was found to have feces and decaying food strewn across the carpet, all swarming with maggots, roaches, and other crawling insects. That was like actually in the report. That's how they found the house. So this is how Adolfo was being raised, that this is just normal. Yeah. When she was eventually evicted from rentals, she would leave behind holes in the walls, broken appliances, broken bathroom fixtures, and she would even steal the electrical outlets. Oh. Neighborhood children and kids at school would either shun Adolfo in fear or they would tease and bully him relentlessly. Well, he was probably dirty and stinky and stuff too. Oh no, he wasn't. He wasn't. He was the I just assumed if you're living in that kind of mess that your personal hygiene wouldn't be great. So despite the squalor of his upbringing, or maybe because of it, Adolfo would develop a compulsive neatness, an obsession with being clean. Oh, he would okay. lay out his clothes beforehand and his little tiny part in the houses would always be pristine. Okay. Oh, so he's a dirt bag, but he's a clean dirt bag. Yes, that's right. <laughs> when his mother learned of this bullying and the shunning, she would teach him not to worry about it, that you get even with your enemies by cursing them. She would ingrain in him the deep-seated belief that what others thought did not matter because they were unbelievers and no better than animals. Delia was not totally oblivious to the idea of fitting in and keeping up appearances. She was able to play a role when she deemed it necessary. During Adolfo's early years, she made sure that Adolfo was baptized into the Catholic religion to appease his first stepfather's wishes. Oh, that's so shocking. Yeah. So maybe he's learning some of his manipulation tactics right from his mom. That's right. Adolfo would even be an altar boy, but all the while his mother was teaching him that he was destined to become the master of the dark arts of Paleomayabe. Adolfo would be taught a life of duality from a young age. Yikes. He's already being groomed to be this mastermind manipulator. That's unsettling, which brings us back to our nature versus nurture, Mm -hmm. right? He's being nurtured into this. So in 1992, Adolfo's family moved back to Miami. He's 10 years old at the time. Fairly soon after they moved back, his stepfather dies. This stepfather would be replaced by another and then another. Adolfo would have three half siblings, each from a different stepfather. It was reported by one of those siblings that each father figure never really showed a fondness towards Adolfo. Perhaps it was because his mother favored him so much or treated him with such... Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah. And how does a woman that keeps a house like that catch all these men? I don't know. Maybe it was one of her favors that she asked of her spirits. Ooh, maybe. Love Potion 99. (laughs) (laughs) From the sounds of it, they weren't the most upstanding citizens that she was attracting. That makes sense. According to the statements made by his younger brother, his third and final stepfather was involved in dealing with drugs and was not the nicest man. He would express his extreme dislike for Adolfo with severe punishments and frequent beatings. And this, along with the insecurities he felt among his peers, probably spurred on his need for constant control in his later life and the need to manipulate others to his will. It was on his return to Miami that Adolfo began his official apprenticeship. 
apprenticeship into Paleo Maambe with a Haitian priest in Little Havana. While the full extent of this training is not exactly known because of the secrecy that surrounds the religion, there are some aspects that he shared with others. So Adolfo's Padrino was an unbaptized Palero and practiced the darkest aspects of Paleo Maambe. He reinforced Dahlia's teachings that non-believers were less than animals that they sacrificed. The Padrino also taught him the value of working with drug dealers in Miami, providing them with blessings for their drug deals or protection spells from the law. He taught Adolfo that while people that defiled their bodies with drugs were the lowest of the low, that it was okay to help them sell drugs because it was allowing the non-believers to kill themselves with drugs. <gasps> oh, that's sinister. Isn't it? And it's interesting because you've said, referred to it as less than animals. So yeah. not even like an animal, but less than. No, less than animals. Oh. Yeah. And so you'll see with his regard to his victims later on, that comes out. And from such a young age to be taught this, mm-hmm. like that is ingrained into him. It is also believed that while he learned to perform animal sacrifice ceremonies and how to call on spirits of the dead, that he was beaten ruthlessly and perhaps even sexually molested by his padrino. Oh no. There are even reports of being in his padrino's secret shed among the animals that had been sacrificed and the rotting cauldron that Adolfo's sexual appetites were heightened. Oh my goodness. So he's getting all these mixed signals. So he's getting off on the smell of blood and the sounds of animals dying. Yeah. Making that association. We haven't even gotten into the meat of this yet already. I know. He's such a dirtbag. In 1976, Dahlia would start to claim to her friends that her son, at the age of 14, had begun to display psychic powers, predicting future events with amazing accuracy. Hmm. So he had this kind of uncanny ability to know what was going to happen next. So maybe he had a natural gift or was granted that by the dark magic powers. That's what she believed. Months before the 1981 shooting of President Ronald Reagan in the United States, Adolfo reportedly predicted the event and proclaimed that Reagan would survive his wounds. So is he behind the shooting? I don't know. <laughs> probably not at this age. No, probably not. Yeah. But maybe his mom was and he heard her talking. <laughs> that's maybe. Sorry, I'm being all skeptical. I am always so skeptical about these Yeah, that's these usually things. you. <laughs> well, there are some things definitely that we don't always understand. But I think as you go through this case, you'll see so many things that can be explained in other ways. Right. Yeah. But I'm not denying that people can have those psychic abilities. Yeah, some people have some talents. That's yeah. for sure. So unfortunately, he missed foreseeing his own future. He failed this <laughs> and on multiple things. Whoops. And here, I know. And here is my disbelief or my skepticism coming through. He failed to see that two of his attempts to shoplift would be unsuccessful. And in 1981, he was arrested twice for shoplifting. <laughs> so he didn't see those sirens no. in his future. He didn't see that coming. <laughs> and here's the kicker. One case involved the theft of a chainsaw. <gasps> what is it with serial killers and trying to shoplift chainsaws? Oh yeah. Rob Hansen. Yeah. Went to jail for stealing a, a chainsaw. chainsaw. And so did Adolfo. Oh no. How do you even imagine that you're going to steal a chainsaw and get away with it? It's not like you can that shove it so under your big. coat or something. <laughs> That's true. They should have stole a hatchet. Yeah. Nurse hatchet. <laughs> Would have been way better. <laughs> so it appears he was not always the smartest tool in the shed. Pun intended. I know, right? (laughs) And that would be backed up by his high school transcripts. He spent his teenage years focusing more on committing petty crimes and frequenting the gay bars in Miami. Okay. So was he gay? He was gay. Actually, bisexual. Okay. He barely graduated and would drop out of junior college after just one semester. 
Okay. Not surprisingly. No. If he thinks he's the chosen one who needs school. That's right. These school failures didn't seem to face him. Adolfo had been taught his whole life by his mother and his padrino that he was the chosen one, that he was special. And when he experienced failures or difficulties, it was because of other people's failures. Right. So he had developed an unshakable sense of self-importance. Oh my goodness. He just <laughs> and no it. sense of accountability. If it's everybody else's fault. That's right. Well, we all know some people like that. <laughs> and really these failures in the secular world held little consequence for Adolfo because he believed that he had the ability to gain wealth and power and protection from the dead spirits that he was learning to command. So he really had no desire to actually do better in school. Yeah, why would he? He didn't feel the need to actually be able to hold down a job later on because he knew what he was going to do. Right. He would just use the spirits to help him out to gain wealth and power. In early 1983, at the age of 21, Adolfo completed his training and was ready to be initiated as a practicing padrino in his own right. One of his final tasks was to choose a patron saint to receive guidance from and pledge his fidelity to. The saint he chose was Kadi and Pembe. It's pretty much the version of Satan in his religion. Ooh. Ooh. Yes. Yep. Oh. So with his padrino's blessing, he devoted himself to the worship of evil for profit. <gasps> oh, no. And how old is he right now? 21. Oh, yikes. The accounts of his initiation were taken in part from journals that Adolfo kept because he kept these wild, crazy journals Ooh. where half of them are written in like just symbols that he oh, interprets. Yeah. And from the testimony of his followers as he recounted his experience to them because he would tell them little parts about how he was initiated so that he could then right. initiate them. them. Adolfo took ritual baths in sacred herbs and took a set of brand new pristine white clothing and buried them in a fresh grave for three weeks on the day of the initiation the clothes were dug up from the grave and adolfo put them on these so these clothes were actually like in somebody's grave yes Ew. like they were actually in a grave with a dead person he was then blindfolded and his body was brushed with branches from a sacred tree and a live chicken to draw out the impurities in his body the Ooh, so they let this chicken just like peck him all over the place no no his padrino was holding it by the feet and like brushing his body with a live chicken oh. The chicken was then sacrificed to the Padrino's Nganga, and a heated knife was used to cut a personal signature into Adolfo's shoulder, making him reado, or marked. Ooh. During the ceremony, Adolfo declared, my soul is dead, I have no God. <gasps> That's freaky. And if you feel that way, there's no consequence to your actions. Right. And he already doesn't believe in morals. That's right. Right? Like in his mind, like he's free, there's nothing holding him back. Mm -hmm. Yikes. After gaining his status as a padrino, Adolfo gained a new persona. He left behind the gaunt and frail teenager that had been teased in high school and presented a trim, sleek man with long black hair, delicate eyelashes, and an arrogant grace. He started attracting the attention of both women and men and was rarely seen as an outcast again. Did that black magic take over and transform him? Or a sense of confidence goes a long way, right? right? Well, remember even when we were talking last week about Paul Marriage, how they said his countenance changed. He turned into this literal monster. And through countless testimonies and reports by his followers, during the rituals, he would actually take on a different countenance when he was taken over by the spirits. Wow. Okay, I just looked up a picture of him and he does not look like I was expecting. I was expecting like, I don't know why, but more of like a Richard Ramirez kind of look, but no, he doesn't look like him at all. In the 80s, he was quite a looker. 
Crazy. And really, if you have no soul, what fears do you retain? You're not worried about what others think of you. And so I can only imagine his new sense of confidence developed freedom from others' judgments. Oh, and he would feel invincible. Totally. Because he already believes he's the chosen one. That's right. In 1983, Adolfo took a modeling assignment in Mexico City. His modeling career would be more of a guise than the real career that he wished to pursue. He began to tell fortunes with Mexican cards and throwing the cowrie shells. He would also perform small incantations of protection, gaining a reputation as a powerful witch or brujo, a sorcerer. He built his reputation in the Red District, known for its support of the dark arts, and because he grew his business there, he was seen as a real witch. He would use his connections with his modeling career to build a wealthy clientele that could further connect him to influential people. So that's what he really used his modeling career for as a connection. During these early years, Adolfo began to collect followers among people that first were his admirers or fellow psychics. Over the course of their relationships, he would teach them to call him El Padrino, the Godfather. Not just a Godfather. But the Godfather. The Godfather. Of all Godfathers. Yeah. Martin Quintana was Adolfo's first follower and when gained the title of Adolfo's man. Omar Orea was a young man that had been obsessed with practicing dark arts from a young age and had actually received a prophecy as a child that he would one day meet a man that would show him a brighter future. Omar would gain the title as Adolfo's woman. How he meets Omar is Adolfo says I'm this man that you were told was going to change your future. Before he told him that? Uh (gasps) Uh-huh. Okay, that's creepy. That would totally steal the deal though. Like if you're Omar Mm -hmm. and you've had prophesied that this man is going to come to you and do this and then this man does. Yeah. Like, okay, that's my fate. In their very first meeting. Yeah. He's like I'm the guy that's going to change your future. Whoa. With Adolfo, these two would form a very twisted relationship that Adolfo would command. He would play the two off each other, having them compete for his affections and causing an intense jealousy between them. So they had this weird threesome going on where Adolfo kind of ruled the roost and Omar did all of the like womanly chores, the housekeeping and the shopping and everything like that. And Martine would act as more the man figure and be like his bodyguard wow. and his business partner kind of thing. That's crazy. See, it's always both. <laughs> Should I get a boyfriend or a girlfriend? <laughs> get both. But they were both men. Oh, I thought Omar was a woman. No, they're both she... men. Well, I thought and... it was weird that Omar for a woman, but I was like, yeah. okay, you never know. No, they're both men. Oh. But he he likes Omar to play the role of a woman. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. From all accounts, this menage a trois was a very abusive relationship, both emotionally and physically. But both Omar and Martine would stay with Adolfo despite their family's concerns and the abuse that they received. Oh. Adolfo had a particular talent for making his followers feel that they were invaluable and unique, so that even when he treated them poorly, he was still rewarded with their loyalty. One of the tactics that he would employ was showering gifts on his special people, or in the case of Omar, Martin, or his La Madrina that he would choose in the future, he would make big, dramatic public displays of affection about not being able to live without them. Oh, totally an abuser. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A total manipulator, Derpe. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you see this pattern in abusive relationships all the time. Yeah. 
One of the other first followers that Adolfo collected was a homosexual psychic named Jorge. He had his own reputation and clientele among the Red District of Mexico City and provided the opportunity for Adolfo to expand his own clientele. So he made friends with the right people that could then grow his own business. Jorge would tell his own clients that if they sought a higher power than his, they should seek out Adolfo. Martin and Omar would take turns acting as supporters or followers as Adolfo performed card readings and bone castings. Wow. He's getting his tribe started. According to the book Buried Secrets by Edward Humes, it is told that the four moved from just reading cards to a profitable business casting spells to bring good luck, which involved expensive ritual sacrifices. Constanzo's journals recovered after his death documented 31 regular customers, some paying up to 4500 for a single ceremony. Whoa. Constanzo had established a whole list of sacrificial beasts with roosters for $6, oh. goats for 30 boa constrictors for 450 adult zebras for 1100 and African lion cubs for $3,100. Oh my goodness. He had a whole menu for his sacrifices. I'd be cheaping out and be like, two roosters, please. <laughs> is he getting african lion cubs from right yeah and how terrible but some people paid big big money for these rituals that he would perform for them well and they would probably would feel like the more exotic or more expensive the animal the better the ritual is going to be the greater the sacrifice the absolutely more, the is, more you're going to get in return and that is one of his base things that he teaches his followers that the quality of the sacrifice matters and people would pay because it appeared that adolfo was the real deal the futures he predicted seemed to come true and the protection spells he cast and most importantly the curses that he sold always came through Ooh. i feel like Crazy, this whole case right? i'm like yikes wow <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> no way <laughs> That's all. That's all you're going to hear from me today, <laughs> listeners. As his clientele grew, so did his connections and his inside intel, though. Adolfo had a skill for attracting two particular kinds of clients. High-ranking officials in the corrupt Mexican police force seeking protection from drug cartels. He would do rituals for the police, promising them that they would be bulletproof against their enemies. One of the most powerful and important contacts he made was Salvador Garcia. He was a high-ranking police officer that worked in the narcotic division of the Mexican police. He was drawn into Adolfo's beliefs and influenced when Adolfo correctly guessed the three different spirits that Salvador believed himself to be inflicted with. Salvador had scars on his face, and Adolfo took one look at him and said, You have a Sioux Indian, a Cuban murderer, and an African witch inside of you. (gasps) Could you imagine? being told that and this rung true to how salvador felt inside what a triad too like those three things together and he did this all from just looking at his face wow there are some other reports say that adolfo actually had some informants that knew salvador's background and knew that he was conflicted about these spirits that he felt were inside of him and that's how he got the information so that makes more sense to me. Totally more sense to me. Yeah. I wonder if that's with that one person too, where he's like, I was, yeah. I'm the person here. That makes more sense. There's no reports of that one, but yeah. Oh, totally. That's what had to have happened. Yeah. His little informant. Either way, Salvador would become Adolfo's source of information and make introductions to the Mexican lucrative drug dealers. Salvador would play a very important role in Adolfo's cult when he would later be initiated into it. Adolfo was also attracting wealthy drug dealers seeking blessings and guidance for their shipment of drugs. He sold his protective spells that would keep them out of the police's notice. Gangsters and their bodyguards would be made invisible to the police. 
So he's no, working. Right. He's working, working both sides. sides. But I wonder if he's saying to the police, like, "I'll make you bulletproof, but you have to leave these people away." Exactly. And then he could say to these people, exactly. "I'll help you, but you leave these police officers alone." Or I know that the police are going to be busy busting this other guy because my friend Salvador has told me about it. So now's the day to move your drugs right. to somebody else. Sneaky, sneaky. It was a convenient setup for Adolfo. He would be informed by both sides and then provide informed predictions. Adolfo would sell his predictions with full surety, always aligning his plans and ceremonies and drug deals with the moon phases and astronomical calendars. What a mastermind. So again, I'm not saying that there's no clout in the religion and the ceremonies that he performed, but there are definitely some things here that had given him the edge. Really, it is an ancient principle that the phases of the moon are lucky or unlucky. Oh, yeah. Go to labor and delivery on a full moon. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> right? Everybody who has water breaks on the full moon. Yeah. But it was something that he would make sure to include in his predictions all the time. Is yeah. that, oh, you don't want to do that when the, the moon is waning because that's a bad time. Right. You always want to do it when the moon is coming. That's actually an ancient principle that's practiced in many other religions. Oh, yeah. Totally. So there must be some basis of it. Oh, for sure. The whole magnetic pole. In mid-1985, Aldolfo felt that it was time for him to introduce the idea of the Nganga to his base followers, to make the magical cauldron that would eventually house the spirit that they would use to do their bidding. They needed to create a dark miniature universe that would convince the spirit or Inkisi to do their bidding. So he'd been grooming them this whole time for this. Mm-hmm. They would fill the cauldron with things like coins for payment, a piece of folded paper with the dead man's name on it, cemetery dirt, a roasted turtle, railroad spikes, which were iron for strength, a goat's head, deer's antlers, peppers, spices, garlic, poisonous insects, coconut shells, and a boiled black cat. Oh, no. Along with a whole bunch of other unusual things, too, but... It was quite a recipe to make Nganga. Some things were provided for the Nkisi to use on its errands or to give it strength. And other items were used to appease it and help compel it to follow the Padrino's instructions. Hmm. So every item had a purpose. It wasn't just a random, like, let's throw this in the pot. 28 sacred sticks were placed in the Nganga as well as a human skull. For the first Nganga that Adolfo would make, he chose to teach his followers the importance of the quality of sacrifice. I don't know. What you were sacrificing mattered. If the skull that was used to provide the basis for the spirit came from a violent person, that spirit would then be okay to do violent things for them. And if the skull was from someone that had died violently, the spirit would be confused and more easily bent to the will of the padrino. (gasps) And the fresher the skull, the better. (gasps) Oh, no. Adolfo would convince Omar Martin and Jorge that they needed to rob a grave of a recently deceased drug dealer that had died in a violent fight. So his spirit would be more susceptible. This would provide them with a strong enough spirit to do their bidding and ensure that they remained prosperous in the ever-increasing dangerous world of drugs that they were entering. Because as the reputation grew about him being a good bruja that could predict the future, he was getting more and more clientele, but they were also getting more and more dangerous clientele. So from the day it was created, the spirit inside the Nganga had to be, quote, bargained with, tricked, and bribed with money, blood, and sacrifices so that it would empower Adolfo's magical spells. It would travel invisibly through the world, doing good and evil as Adolfo commanded. So like his flying monkeys. (laughs) 
<laughs> to do his bidding. That's what this whole spirit was about. And this is like the source of his power. And so however he fed it, that's how it translated to his power. Crazy. And we're just getting started. Adolfo's journal entries would reveal that his Nagunga was dedicated to his personal guiding spirit, Karayam Pembe, and was built to inflict curses, sickness, and death. Because his personal spirit is the equivalent to like Satan, right? That's right. Once his Nanganga was created, Adolfo gained even more confidence and felt entitled to even more wealth. He had been taught by his Polero how to get it by manipulating the rich drug lords. His first solid attempt to enter the drug world came in 1986 when he was introduced to the Calzada family by Florentine Ventura, the head of the Mexican Interpol branch, yet another follower of Adolfo's. So he had all of these like high up, high ranking police officers. Because they believe he's going to protect them. Once introduced, Adolfo began selling his protection spells and predictions for the best time to move drugs to the drug cartel for a very profitable sum. In early 1987, he was purchasing luxury cars and condominiums with cash because they were paying him so well. Well, and I wonder if it was such a helter-skelter area in time and everyone was kind of scared and uneasy about things. So they would pay big money to feel that safety. Absolutely. And when they're moving drugs around, it's not little sums of money. There are like hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars of things that they're moving around. And so what is it to pay some guy a thousand dollars or a couple of thousand dollars even to protect your assets? Oh, for sure. Right? It's worth it. Mm -hmm. And because he had all of these connections with the police and other drug cartels, he actually knew the times to move the drugs. Oh, yeah. And so his predictions were good predictions. Sneaky little sneak. A sneaky dirtbag. So his wealth spilled over to his practice of buying his friends gifts to make up for any abuses that they had endured at his hands. From the exorbitant amounts of money that he was making with his introduction to the larger drug world, his tokens of appreciation increased from elaborate shopping sprees for whole new wardrobes for Omar or brand new luxury cars for Martine. This further cemented his followers' loyalty to him. So they're basically selling their souls. Oh, they'll get there. Just wait. They actually get there. Oh, no. As he became more and more familiar with the inner workings of the drug world, Adolfo found a new passion to gain wealth. Up until this point, he had been sitting on the sidelines, but once seeing all the money that could be had, Adolfo wanted to try his hand at actually doing the drug deals. Oh, he's going to actually get his hands dirty. Yeah. One of his first drug deals was to pose as a DEA agent and fake a drug bust, ripping a coke dealer off in Guadalajara. Oh, smart. He got his cop friends to give him some uniforms and he busted somebody else. That's so brilliant, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to say it, but yeah, smart. Smart. He then used his police contacts to sell the cocaine for over $100,000. <gasps> this success spurred Adolfo's confidence that he was the real reason why the Calzada family was actually successful. In April of the same year, he demanded to be made a partner with the head of the Calzada family. He's like the big kahuna. He's just putting himself in there, everywhere. The established drug lord had been in the business long before Adolfo entered the scene and didn't have to think very long before giving Adolfo an answer. It was a definite no. Finally, someone thinking clearly. Adolfo was incensed at first, but would appear to handle the rejection well after a cooling off period. It's probably the first time he heard no. It probably was. To prove that he wasn't offended, he offered the excuse that he had been under the spell of another witch at the time, and that's what had invoked <laughs> his demand. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if we could, yeah. every time we do something wrong, sorry, it wasn't really me. It was I a was, witch. <laughs> I was under the spell of a witch. And it's her fault because I would never, never do that. (laughs) But that's the reason he gave to this 
big drug family was that he made this disrespectful request and thought he was all that because he had been under the spell of another witch. <laughs> That's the excuse I'm going to start using. <laughs> Best excuse ever. When anyone complains, sorry, witch spell. <laughs> hey, and people used to think redheads were witches. So yeah, I could you could get totally away get away with it. Yeah. Just to prove that there was no bad blood, he offered to do a cleansing for the members of the Calzada family for free. And remember at this time that he was making a good chunk of change Mm -hmm. with his rituals. And so this was a really generous offer. Oh, but it's just part of his manipulation, I'm sure. The head of the Calzada family gathered his immediate family, business partner, bodyguard, and even his maid together on April 30th for the offered cleansing ritual. Seven individuals in total would not make it through the ceremony. Adolfo arranged for the family to be sitting in a circle surrounded by candles. He started chanting in a strange African dialect and saying the word enemy. On a predetermined (laughs) cue, Martin and other followers jumped into the gathering and opened fire on the unsuspecting Calzada family. (gasps) Adolfo wielded a knife. During the ambush, it was recounted by later witnesses that Adolfo got carried away with the violence in almost a sexual way, breathing hard and seeing red. Oh, well, that had been ingrained in him, uh-huh. right? You get the even. correlation between blood and gore and sexual gratification. Yeah. Blech. And so he got off on it. It would be over a week before their bodies would start to wash up on the shore of the Zumpango River. Or at least what was left of their bodies. Adolfo had collected certain body parts to feed to his nanganga. Fingers, toes, ears, hearts, and sex organs had been removed, as well as the spine from one victim and the brain of two of the others. (gasps) That's so savage. Mm -hmm. When police investigated the murders, they found signs of some kind of religious ritual that had taken place. But they also found that whoever had murdered the Calzada family had taken off with between a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars in drugs and cash. Because of the drug ledgers and the paraphernalia found at the home, the investigating police chalked up the murders to a rival drug cartel. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Why is everything falling into place for this guy? Well, because he has his spirits to make sure they do. That's true. He is the chosen one. Yeah. Adolfo had followed his mother's teachings and had gotten even for the rejection that he had suffered and he had done it all without anyone becoming suspicious of him wow so he blamed it on all the other drug cartels well they're a perfect scapegoat yeah like because they're not fine. outstanding citizens of the community and so yeah easy oh, to that's the and world they rival in. together yeah. but it is interesting that they thought that it had some real ritualistic tendencies well because they did notice like there were candles all in a circle and yeah. so would another drug cartel do that probably not I think at the time, the police didn't really care. They're like, well, That's they're true. killing off themselves. Yeah. yeah. Less we have to worry about. So for his followers that had helped him, he continually reminded them of their own guilt in the matter. And for those that weren't present, he made sure that they were accessories after the fact. The people that didn't help him, he called them in to clean up afterwards. Oh, yeah. Then they all have something to lose. So no one could go to the police after because they would be implicating themselves. That's smart. Martin, Adolfo's man, had told another follower later that he didn't know that Adolfo had planned to kill the family until they were actually there. He admitted it had made him cry and puke, which had embarrassed Adolfo. And as a punishment, he was raped brutally afterwards. Oh, no. Because he was supposed to be his man. That's not a manly thing to do. And Quote, unquote. That's, yeah. yeah. Not my opinion, his. But yeah, Adolfo had punished him after by raping him into submission. Or maybe it was just because he was so turned on by having just committed all these murders and these brutal mutilations that he needed to do something with it. Well, and then to exude that power over Martine Mm -hmm. would have just been the little cherry on top. 
It was after the murders of the Calzada family that Adolfo began to instruct his followers about the power of human sacrifice. He would tell them that it was much more powerful than an animal sacrifice. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That really, it shouldn't be viewed as murder because the spirits lived on to serve them after death. Along with these teachings, he would teach them that through human sacrifice, that's how they could become as powerful as he was. His followers were now gaining an appreciation for what Adolfo was capable of. Yeah, and what he was offering to them. Mm -hmm. Salvador Garcia introduced Adolfo to another drug-running family. This one was led by brothers Ilio and Avidio Hernandez in Matamoros. Matamoros is on the southern bank of the Rio Grande, directly across from Brownsville, Texas, with a population of almost 300,000 at the time. It was no stranger to crime and drugs because it was set perfectly between the two countries. Oh, yeah. The Hernandez brothers were a little down on their luck. Their eldest brother, who had always been the leader of their cartel, had recently been killed, and now the family was struggling to maintain power over their drug turf. But Adolfo had learned a lesson with the Calzada family. This time, he orchestrated a way for the Hernandez family to see him as their potential savior instead of trying to impose himself on them. He did this through a woman named Sarah Aldretti. Sarah was a 22-year-old beautiful Mexican woman attending school in Brownsville, Texas. She was striking at 6 feet 1 inches tall and often attracted the attention of men. She had previously been married but was now divorced and living with her parents in the little border town of Matamoros. She was attending college in hopes of becoming an athletic teacher and leaving her past behind her. She had always wanted bigger and better things for her life. Oh no, I don't think that's going to happen. Adolfo arranged a chance meeting with Sarah by stopping his car in front of hers on a busy street and refusing to move it until she would go out with him. Yeah, quote unquote chance. Yep. She eventually agreed and over the course of the summer, he maneuvered Sarah into a position where she would be able to introduce him to the Hernandez family and vouch for his credibility as a bruja. So he makes it seem like totally random, even though he's so calculated and conniving. And it's almost like, oh, how romantic. Like, as soon as he saw me, love at first sight. And he wouldn't move until I agreed. He had to stop the car because of her beauty. Yeah. He just had to meet her at that spot. As people are, like, honking behind them. He's the worst. He's one of the worst. At first, he began slowly with her, lying about his occupation and dropping little tidbits about his religion, all the while saying things that would have Sarah believe that he knew everything about her. As the relationship moved on, he arranged for a breakup between her and her then-current boyfriend and alluded to wanting a physical relationship with her. Once he had established a relationship with her, he began to introduce more and more aspects of Santeria and Palo Mayambe to Sarah, and the college student ate it up. He once went jogging with her in his full getup of a white jogging suit and all of his gold necklaces. <laughs> and she's an athletic student. So she was like, oh, this guy's not going to last very long. And she eventually had to call the run and he hadn't broken a sweat. (gasps) That's because the evil spirits were pushing him along. Yeah. And when she asked, like, how did you just do that? He's like, oh, it's because of my religion. Wouldn't tell her anything else, but would keep on alluding to that's just because of my religion. Well, she'd be so intrigued and want to know Mm -hmm. more. And she'd want that for herself. Yeah. Especially if she's wanting to be an athletic teacher and he can just totally kick her butt. You know, no questions asked. Adolfo would also impress her by telling her things that he could not have possibly known about her past, making predictions about her future that would then come true, much to her delight. So he would tell her, you'll receive a scholarship. And she did. He would tell her, an old friend is going to call you. And they did. Yeah, but I wonder if he was prompting that. Probably giving the money for the scholarship or or paying them off. Or he knew about the scholarship. Yeah, I'm skeptical. But for all that attention he gave Sarah, 
And he actually gave her the idea that they would get married. He really wasn't that affectionate to her. He's just using her. They had a brief sexual relationship, but Sarah would say later that it was methodical and lacked passion. He made Sarah feel special instead by bestowing a special position on her, la madrina, or the godmother. She didn't know that he had had two before her and that they had disappeared. In reality, he did actually view her as somebody special, though. She had been born on the same day as his mother, which to him was a sign that she really was meant to be his la madrina, or his counterpart. Adolfo, like many other serial killers, had a very unusual relationship with his mother. As an adult, he would revert back to using a childlike voice whenever he talked to her. So he would call her and other people would be listening to him and be like, Mommy! Yeah. <laughs> That's terrible. That was one of our dirtbag details yeah. <laughs> a few weeks back. Unusual relationships with their mother. So true. So when Sarah was his mother's astral twin, this like sealed the deal for him. This oh, was yeah. meant to be. It was yeah. really something for him. Because he's governed by the moon and astrology and all that. Yeah. yeah, I can see it. So with her special position, she became further entrenched into Adolfo's teachings. Soon she would have her own altar in her apartment for sacrifices, and her friends and teachers from Brownsville, where she had went to school, would comment on how much of her focus had changed by the fall of 1987. Over just a few months, she had changed dramatically. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. It was only natural when her ex-boyfriend, Elio Hernandez, was lamenting about all his recent problems that Sarah introduced him to Adolfo. And Adolfo's plan had worked perfectly. Oh, yeah. So he had pegged her because she had had a relationship with this drug family before. In November 1987, Adolfo was introduced to Ilio, the head of the Hernandez family. During the meeting, he convinced Ilio what they needed to be a successful drug cartel was Paleo Mayambe. For the reasonable price of 50% of their profits, Adolfo would promise to eliminate their enemies and keep the family safe from harm. 50%? 50% for him. Ooh. Yeah. He's ballsy. (laughs) Ilio was inclined to take the chance on the partnership. Because of his hot temper and poor management skills, his family business was really suffering. Okay. Three days after his meeting with Adolfo, Ilio Hernandez was initiated into Paleo Meambe and was cut just like Adolfo. They were now a part of Adolfo. And were to be ever loyal to him or else. I think it's really evident here that Adolfo had moved away from actually practicing paleo to showing a real greed for fame and fortune. Because he had trained for 11 years with his padrino before he was able to be cut. And here, three days after he even meets Ilio, he's cut him. Oh, good point. And actually, Sarah was initiated one day before Ilio. So he's starting to really build up the followers in a really permanent way because he's scarring them. Yikes. For Ilio's pledge of fidelity, Adolfo promised to protect and restore the Hernandez drug business. He was so confident that he could deliver what he offered. He offered them a money-back guarantee. (laughs) I don't know why that's so funny to me. Hilarious. It's totally a business. <laughs> He's totally set it up as a business and it's yeah. getting away from necessarily like the dark magic part of it to just scheming. Absolutely. Like running the biggest hustle there was. Well, he's trying to take the risk out of it so that they have no excuse not to agree. But I think at the same time, he knows that as soon as he gets them cut, he can talk them into other things. That's true. He's he's just entrenching them in his little cult. And we know he has no problem killing a bunch of people all at once. Nope. So instead of getting the money back, if they're complaining, we'll just get rid of them. That's right. 
When the Hernandez family agreed to Adolfo's terms, it wasn't just about the drugs. Adolfo enmeshed himself not only into their drug business, but also into their lives. He gradually worked his way through the Hernandez cartel, converting people and gaining followers. And they were a very specific breed of followers because they were this drug cartel. Mm-hmm. There were five new recruits brought into the fold, and these recruits were decided upon by both Adolfo and Ilio for their specific qualities. So he goes through and he purposely picks out people he wants to join or recruit into Paleomayambai. And he has an agenda behind every one of them, mm-hmm. I'm sure. The first recruits of the narco-Satanist were Alvaro de Leon Valdez, El Dube. El Dube. El Dube. Is that actually part of his name or is that his like nickname? No, that's his nickname. <laughs> like a doobie? Is that like his? <laughs> his nickname? El Dube. He was a particularly cruel man and had grown up enjoying bringing pain to others. He found the ideas oh. of torture and sacrifice interesting and he would be given the role of enforcer. El Dube was a psychopath just wanting to kill. And Adolfo supported, wholeheartedly supported him in this pursuit. Well, this is perfect for him Mm -hmm. to find a guy like that. No wonder he got chosen. Yeah. He would act as Adolfo's unofficial bodyguard so that Adolfo could keep a close eye on him. That's how bad he was. Carlos de la Lata was a thug and a coke dealer with connections to the teenage crowd that frequented Matamoros. So he was opening up his business. Aurelio Chavez, a British foreman that ran Rancho Santa Lina, the place where the cult would make their home base. He was eager to belong and get his hands dirty because Adolfo gave him the opportunity through his religion to be on the same playing field as his bosses. So he would no longer be just a hired hand. So Sergio Martinez Salinas, La Mariposa, La Mariposa? La Mariposa. Do you know what Mariposa is in Spanish? It's a butterfly? Yes! The butterfly! (laughs) So maybe not quite Tinkerbell, but... (laughs) The butterfly. The butterfly. Is that because of the metamorphosism? He was Ilio's handsome, young, homosexual cousin. Oh, he's pretty. He's pretty. And (laughs) Adolfo handpicked him. I think we should start calling our husbands that. La Mariposa. La Mariposa. <laughs> Pretty butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> and then Malio Fabio Ponce Torres was El Gato or the cat. The cat? The cat. He was a cagey fighter with very sharp wits. Aldafo pulled him aside after his initiation and told him that he would rule the cartel through covert power, answering to Aldafo only and no one else. Oh my goodness. What a master manipulator. And I keep thinking, this would make the best movie. You can't even make this stuff up. No, you can't. Like all these different characters right by his side, how everything is happening. It doesn't even sound real. No. It's crazy. Like if you're trying to write a crazy script for a movie... This would be it. Oh, it's so true. There's actually a movie called Borderland that's about this case. (gasps) Whoa. I'm going to have to put that on my watch list. And actually, I don't find the movie as scary as the actual events. Really? No. Well, no. What is more horrific than what you're actually telling us about right now? It's crazy. So interestingly, Elgato would escape any punishment for the crimes later on. Hmm, Just like predicted. Yeah, he'd just slink off into the night. He would tell a bold place lie to the police that were coming to see. Like he was coming out of one of the houses as they were arresting people. And he's like, oh, oh, I'm just I'm just a college student. I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> and later, when they do charge him for some mysterious reason, the charges are just dropped. There's no report of why. It's the evil spirits. They're protecting him. Well, El Gato is sneaky. He has nine lives. Oh, yeah. The cat. Yeah. Ah. 
Adolfo was a master puppeteer and played all of these people's desires and worked them perfectly into his cult followers. Oh, yeah. He knew exactly what they wanted and could tell them exactly what they wanted to hear. Yep. You're a crazed psychopath. You're going to be our enforcer. I'll let you brutally mutilate anybody. Yeah. It's like his guard dog. Vicious guard dog. Elgato, you like to be sneaky, so you're going to be my informant on everybody else in the cult. Wow. He was a mastermind. At their initiation on April 15th, 1988, and for each one after that, Adolfo would teach them the sacredness of their vow that they were taking, that they were entering a family, and that they need always be loyal and protect the family. Oh, that's another Charles Manson thing. Mm-hmm. It's all he, about the family. He would then proceed the ritual by blindfolding them, plying them with a rum called Fire Water of the Cane, a cheap Mexican liquor known for inflicting brain damage and hallucinations <gasps> in large oh. amounts. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then spraying their body with the blood of a sacrificed chicken and finally cutting them. That's wild. He permanently scarred them with his brand. So they were his. After the ceremony to cement the family feeling, and usually after all of their rituals, Adolfo would treat them all to burgers at their favorite place, El Sombrero's. <laughs> then I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Burgers after? Go for burgers sure. after? Like, yes, please. <laughs> That's such a random thing. Like, oh, well, if you let me pour chicken blood on you, Melissa, and carve my name into your shoulder, (laughs) I'll take you out for a burger. It was how he was so conniving. Because if you're doing something that's so abnormal and then you follow it with something that's normal, it just starts to blur those lines for those people of this is really crazy. But actually we did this. And so it's actually not so crazy anymore. Right. Yeah. That's Uh wild. While out for burgers, Martine would whisper in each of the initiatives the penalties for disobeying and the need to carefully be obedient to Adolfo's three rules. The first, always obey El Padrino. Number two, accept Cotty and Pembe, forsaking all other churches. Christians were animals. Oh, no. And number three, keep their bodies clean by never taking drugs. Interesting. He didn't want their judgments clouded. No. Or getting addicted, and then they're no use to him. They could sell them, and they could kill for drugs, but they couldn't take them themselves. And I find that so much more disturbing, because the things that these people do, they're not high. They're a sound mind. So those are quite the family rules. I wonder if it was embroidered at the front door. (laughs) (laughs) You know, not love others, but (laughs) follow El Padrino. Once the five were initiated, they had more power to convert Ilio's more skeptical brothers, who were okay with Adolfo for a business partner, but were not so enthused about him as a spiritual leader. Eventually, they would be convinced to join. It didn't take much to convince Ilio's nephew, Little Seraphine, to join. His nickname, El Shapiro, short, chubby man. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to be called that. <laughs> he was happy just to have a nickname. And yeah, be in the I mean, crowd. even Killer Cookie's better than that. <laughs> <laughs> he was a law enforcement college student and was taken in by the power Odafo promised him. He was initiated oh. in June 1988. Little Seraphine had a knack for bringing in new followers. So he talked up the cult big and was bringing in people like crazy. Wow. While the initiations were taking place, Adolfo was still fulfilling his promises with the drug side of the business, too. Using his corrupt police connections, he obtained a ton of marijuana. Like an actual ton, not like a t- oh, an over-exaggeration, <laughs> but actually a ton. Oh, I thought you said, like, yeah, like a bunch, like no. a ton. <laughs> no, a ton of marijuana. That had been seized by police from other traffickers. So police <laughs> were taking it off the streets, and because he had connections with police... 
he was saying, well, I'll protect you, but give me the stuff that you've taken from other traffickers. <gasps> so he wasn't having to pay for any of his drugs. He was turning 100% profit on them. Oh, my gosh. The load was moved to the storehouses at Rancho Santalina and then moved across the border to be sold in Houston, Texas. This doubled the Hernandez's business immediately because, again, they're oh. not paying for the drugs. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Imagine if he put this mastermind of his to something useful. Like, let's figure out how to prevent hunger, right? Like, imagine what he could have done. It would have been crazy. And with his share of the money, Adolfo lavished gifts on his followers. For La Madrina, he gave Sarah a $5,000 signing bonus for providing the inn with Elio. Mm. So he was kicking her some money on the side. Which will make her more willing to help in the future. Absolutely. He's a mastermind. In the spring of 1988, Adolfo moved the cult's rituals to Rancho Santalina, a farm owned by the Hernandez family, 20 miles or 32 kilometers outside of Matamoros. It is there that Adolfo's rituals became more elaborate and sadistic. Oh, no. Up until then, Adolfo had kept an apartment in the city and had dedicated only one room to his naganga. He kept the mess contained in only one room, and the rest of the apartment was furnished in pristine white. After each ritual, he would meticulously clean, never wanting to live again in the squalor that he had as a child. Hmm. For rituals, they would use Sarah's apartment. But neither of these places was convenient. With a more secluded spot to host the cult's rituals, and a permanent place for the Nganga, Adolfo felt that a new, stronger Nganga was necessary to protect his growing followers and drug business. And with that thought, I think it's a good time for us to take a break. But don't worry, listeners, just as we promised at the beginning of the case, you don't have to wait for part two. Go ahead and click on it now. See you in a minute. Bye. Today we're that's right. We're gonna talk to James. <laughs> You're like laughing. We have as soon as I start into my actual story. I was just thinking, as a woman, could we get a handbag big enough to fit a oh. chainsaw in there? I don't know. I just said it right, people. I know. Stupid cars. <laughs> Wow. Some might wow. have. Why do you have the whole like Owen Wilson? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this whole time. Wow. 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 <laughs> like everything in Wizard of Oz. I don't know why that popped in my head. The head of the Calzad to the Caldat Calzada. I can do it. Good. I'm in the middle of recording. <laughs> Here, wait. I'm going to put you on speaker. <laughs> Say hi to everyone, Mom. Hi, everybody. <laughs> It's our number one fan. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> hey, we're live, pal. And we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. Come on a journey like no other. 
where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.